0: heavenly father thank you for the ability to worship you this morning thank you for bringing us here whether we're in person or online with the opportunity to worship you to praise you to grow closer to you we need you each and every day each and every moment we need you in our lives thank you for never failing us even when we so often fail you you never turn your back on us thank you so much for that in Jesus name You can have a seat. I almost didn't want to come up here and preach. I wanted to enjoy the music a little bit longer, especially considering now I'm going to tell some riddles. It doesn't really seem to go. You guys didn't approve this with me, but so I got a couple riddles for you. See how awake you are, how bright you are this morning first one a father and a son are in a car accident the father dies instantly the son in critical condition is rushed to the emergency room for surgery and the surgeon looks at the boy and says aghast I can't operate on him he's my son how can that be Absolutely, The surgeon is his mother. Let me give you another one. How can you use the letters in new door to make one word? Are you trying to re- rearrange them in your head, trying to figure out what other word you can get out of there? Well, the answer is, I told you, how can you do one word? New door to one word is pretty easy. Kind of irritating, isn't it, a little bit? Okay, I got one more for you. Johnny's mother has four children. First is named April, the second is named May, the third is named June. What is the name of the fourth child? Johnny. I told you that. Johnny's mom had four kids. Okay, one more. Imagine you're in a sinking rowboat surrounded by sharks. How are you going to survive? answer is simple. Quit imagining. Told you to imagine you're in a rowboat. So why did I do this? Because it's easy to miss the obvious. And today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to, as we continue this series through the book of James, we're going to look at the obvious particularly the spiritually obvious. So we're in James chapter two, beginning in verse 14. And this week, I'm actually gonna use the paraphrase, the message paraphrase when we look at it. So picking up in verse 14, it says, "'Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere "'in this if you learn all the right words, "'but never do anything?' Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come up upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved. And you say, good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then you walk off, providing not so much as a coat or a cup of soup, where does that get you isn't it obvious that god talk without god acts is outrageous nonsense how's that for an opener from james it, which but as, if we're honest it's fair isn't it what good is faith without action And James tells us the answer is, it is absolutely no good. James is suggesting that it's not even spirituality. It's not real faith. Why is that? Because faith without action is dead. It's lifeless. It ceases to be something that's functioning. And this is important because for James, Faith results in action. And if it doesn't, then it wasn't truly faith to begin with. See, when you truly believe, it will impact your life. Just like you couldn't walk by someone you really cared about who had no food or no clothing and not do something about it. You can't have real faith and not do something about it. You you can have an outer veneer of spirituality. You can know all the terminology. You can know all the routines. You can know all of the rituals. You can have conversations about spirituality. You can read about spirituality, but not be spiritual have it never take root in your life which means it's not spirituality at all it's not faith at all it's something lifeless something dead it's not alive and it's not functioning as faith but what's interesting is what James does next the James anticipates now, some of us might respond to that, that they would then say, well, okay, it's not about, you know, faith and works. It's, it's okay, I'm just gonna be a works type of person. It's all about the deeds. It's all about what you do. And that is not what James is trying to say. In fact, and that's what he deals with next, beginning in verse 18, he says, I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good, you take care of the faith department I'll handle the works department, not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together, hand in glove. See, there's a lot of people who want spirituality in terms of doing good things, caring for the poor, housing the homeless, feeding the hungry, but they don't want any of the faith aspect of it, actually believing in anything or having faith in anything. So they read that first part of James and say, way to go, James. I never liked those faith guys anyway." all that doctrine and Bible they talk about. Let's just feed the poor. Let's just house the homeless. Let's do good to the orphans and the widows. I'm a works and deeds type of guy, and and I'm glad someone has finally said that that's what it's all about. Not what you believe, or how spiritual you are, just about what you do. And to that, James says, that's as empty as faith without deeds. James says it has to be both faith and deeds. They're two sides of the same coin. And there's no doubt that James sees most people getting it wrong the other way. See, while doing good deeds without faith is messed up, most people don't mess it up that way. Most people screw it up by having faith but no deeds. They have belief, but no behavior. They have knowing, but no doing. Words, but no actions. That's why so few people get involved in outreach ministry. When we have outreach, it's a small percentage who show up. now. I believe you all probably know that you should do outreach and you agree with doing outreach, but when the rubber meets the road, not many people show up. And James is going after that mercilessly with some of the most penetrating, some of the most revealing, maybe even disturbing lines in all of scripture. He picks it back up in verse 19 where he says, do I hear you professing? that to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two? and not end up with a corpse on your hands. Pretty cutting that James is telling us. Do you know how many people believe in God? There was a poll by the Washington Post that said 92% of all Americans believe in God. Now they may not be ready to call themselves a Christian, or consider themselves a part of any individual church. But But they aren't atheists. They say they believe in God. And that's all that matters, right? James says, absolutely not. Even the demons believe. Even the demons know that God exists. But what's that mean? It means that not all who believe are in a real, authentic relationship with God. They have a false faith. Knowledge and experience and truth can flow into you but if it never flows out of you in real life, in real acts, and you'll have a lot of knowledge up here in your head, but you'll be dead here in your heart. So you can't separate faith and works. Now you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought all you had to do was believe. And then you'd be okay. You know, believe and be saved. You're right. That's true if it's real belief. Because real belief is more than just accepting a set of facts. Real belief is more than just accepting what the church tells you, accepting what I say from up here. Real belief, real faith goes deeper than that. It involves the entire inner world, and then expresses itself outwardly in an increasingly transformed life. See, in the same way, James wants to question whether anyone who says they believe is really in love with God when you look at their lives and they aren't doing anything for him. James is laying out three kinds of faith, only one of which is true, authentic, saving faith. The first kind is faith divorced from deeds. When you say you have faith, but you don't actually do anything. The second is when there is faith marked by evil deeds. That's the faith of the demons we talked about in James. But the third type of faith, this is the faith that James wants us to lift up. The faith that results in good deeds. It results in a life marked by Christ in both words and actions. And in laying that out, James exposes one of the most common spiritual errors in our day, that we can somehow separate belief and behavior, that we can separate faith and lifestyle, knowing and doing, and then think that that's okay. You can't. Now, in fairness to us, that's the way we've been raised. Our culture makes information everything. We make knowing about something equivalent to its reality in our life. But that's not what real knowledge means. At least, not in the Bible. And in fact, this is interesting. The word, the Greek word new used for knowledge in the Bible is the Greek word "genosco." And it's a relational word. It meant more than just having information in your brain. For example, if a man were to know a woman to genosco her, there may very well be a baby in nine months. That's what knowing something in the Bible means. That's how strong of an idea it is. If you really believed, if you really knew, you would be intimately related to what it is you claim to know. If it doesn't impact your life, if it isn't experiential, then you don't know it, even if you have the information. Knowing it and having the information are two separate things. So what is real faith? What does it mean to truly believe? So James ends with two examples, one from the life of Abraham, the other from the life of Rahab. And what I want to read what he says about them. and begins in verse 20. He says, Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself in works? That the works... Uh, are works of faith. The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God not by barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works. The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing what counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing. A corpse. That's what real faith is all about. James talked about how they not only believed, but also behaved. The two were joined together. It wasn't that they earned the favor of God by obeying him. Instead, they acted how a friend of God should act and thus showed that they really were God's friend. They did what God wanted, what God asked for, what God called for. And through that, they revealed true faith. See, the deeds did not make their faith real. The deeds just showed that their faith was real. And there's a difference. Deeds don't earn you salvation. They just reflect its reality In your life, deeds don't make faith or equal faith, but their absence shows that real faith isn't there. Yes, we are saved by grace, alone through faith. If we really really take in and accept God's grace, there will have to be. A response There will be a relationship, and a, a one sided relationship is not a relationship at all, it won't be just knowledge because real faith will play itself out in real life. Why? Because the heart of the matter is the heart. Francis Chan once wrote about how we're willing to make changes in our lives only if we think it will affect our eternal destiny, which is why people tend to ask questions like, can I get divorced and still go to heaven? Do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? Am I a Christian even if I'm having premarital sex? If I commit suicide, can I still go to heaven? Do you see what's wrong with all of those questions? They show that our concern is more about heaven than loving God and being in a relationship with him. He wants that relationship more than anything. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. Which means that the real question is this. Can I go to heaven without truly and faithfully loving Jesus and having that love demonstrated in how I live and interact with others? What do you think the answer is to that? James already told us. James told us, even the demons believe that there's only one God. But you don't have to go through life not knowing. You don't have to worry about heaven. You don't have to have faith and deeds be two separate, different worlds. Your faith doesn't have to be dead. It can come to life. You can have your belief in who you are, your belief in how you live, become one. And here's how. Become a Christ follower. I almost said become a Christian, but that's what most people think they are. 92% say they believe in God, and that's what we use as a definition for the word Christian. Almost everyone believes that they're a Christian, but they're not. Do you know where that word actually got its start? It didn't come from Jesus. It's not even found in the four Gospels. Now, it's in the Bible, but it doesn't pop up until the 11th chapter of Acts as part of a story of the early church. You see, the news of Christ in his resurrection from the dead was spreading throughout the world. And people were becoming followers of Jesus, left and right. And one of those places was a city called Antioch. And tucked away in Acts chapter 11 is just one sentence that says this. It was there at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. See, what had happened was other people called them Christians. They didn't give the name to themselves. It's what other people saw. And that word Christian literally means little Christ. So when outsiders were looking at what the people in Antioch were doing, they saw them as people living out as little Christ and started to call them Christians. The belief of those early Christ followers was of such a nature, was so real, so authentic, so incorporated into their day-in, day-out life that there was no other word for them. They had allowed their faith, their belief, to change them to transform them, and to bring them to life. So the question is, are you a Christian? A true Christian, a little Christ, a Christ follower? And it's not about sinless perfection. It's about starting to bring your faith and your life together. Something you may have never done before, but you can. You could start that even today. And here's all that you have to do. Authentically come to God for a relationship through Jesus. And the key word there is relationship. See, this is how the Bible describes it for those who have done this. In the Gospel of John it says he was in the world and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him who believed he was, who he claimed and would would do what he said, he made to be their true selves. Their child selves. Of God's selves. These are the God begotten. You have come, you have to come to Jesus in belief, real belief. The kind that gives your head and your heart and your hand, gives all of it over to Him. Surrender everything you have. And from that, you live out your true calling to be a Christ follower, a little Christ, to believe that Jesus was God in human form, that he came to this earth to lay down his life for ours in order to pay for the wrongs that we have committed. And then on the third day he rose from the dead and that, through his life, his death, and his resurrection there is a new life through the forgiveness of sin when you accept what he did for you on the cross. You know that sin in your life is serious. So serious that someone needed to step in to pay the price for it. And you believe that that's what Jesus did on the cross for each of you. He took your place. He took my place and paid the price for our sins. And then he rose from the dead. But that's all you've done. You believe it, but you haven't lived it. You haven't moved from being a Christ believer to being a Christ follower. You've never taken it into your heart, into your life in such a way that it's made any kind of real difference in your life. You've had a faith that's been divorced from deeds. Divorced from living it, from following it, from modeling it, from acting on it. It's never been the driving force in your life. But it can be. All you have to do is to give Him all of you. the question is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to begin a relationship with Him? See, that's what it means to become a Christian, a real Christian, a new life that fleshes itself out all over the place. Faith and works belief, and behavior, words, and deeds, knowing and doing. Are you ready for that? Do you want that? Then do it. Make the decision. Start the new life here and now. Mark this day as the day you stop playing with your faith and you start making it real. In fact, that's what I'm going to invite you to do. We're going to sing a song here in a minute. And what I want you to do during that song, I want you to say a prayer to God. It could be one of a couple different prayers, depending on where you're at in your life. It might be coming to Jesus for the very first time. You've never really been a Christian, and you know it but you have decided today to become a Christ follower. That might be your decision. Or it could be that you might have been a Christian, but you haven't been living it. You've slipped, you've fallen, you've drifted away. And you want to tell God that you're ready to get back on track or it might be that you're that you are faithfully trying to live the Christ life and you just want to tell him god i'm still here i'm still yours with all my failings with all my fallings you still have my heart and you always will So during this song, I want you to pray whichever one of those applies to you as a symbol of your decision. Pray that to Him, that you really have come to Him fully and completely. And then once you've done that, I'm gonna, after you pray, I'm gonna see if you wanna come up to the cross. There's a, a stool there with a basket. And inside that basket it's a little wooden cross. You see, these crosses are made in Bethlehem from olive trees in Bethlehem. There's enough for everyone. Come up and, and take a cross. It's a cross that you can keep in your pocket, in your car, on your desk at work, anywhere you can see it. And you can remember it as a symbol of the decision you've made today. That you are not simply a believer. You are someone who has come to Christ fully and completely. And you're now going to live in such a way that you can only be called a Christian. So come to the cross for a little cross just like you can come to Christ to be a little Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are a wonderful, merciful Savior. Lord, I pray that those here will make a decision to not just be a believer, but to be a follower of you, to truly be a true Christian, a little Christ, so that when others see us, they don't see us, but they see us you in us. Help us to merge our faith and our deeds so that it's never one or the other, but they're playing out together. Give us the faith that we need because you are a wonderful, merciful Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.